Kreusor, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Diochen Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and Adveriad. Let's recover together. So welcome everybody, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the Living Room and Adveriad. Let's recover together. I'm Julie and today's guest is Carol, who's kindly come in today to talk about her recovery from her alcohol addiction and discussing her role within the Living Room. But we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. So Carol, let's start off in our usual way, which is to listen to your first track. Um, You've chosen the track Help by The Beatles. Why did you choose that number? Well, I think I um, um, actually chose it just because of the title, Help. Because I um, soon realised in my early adulthood that I was completely unable to ask for help. And the fact that this is a uh, a recurring uh, factor for most people I've met who have got an addiction their inability to ask for help. Okay, let's give it a listen. Yeah. 
So that was Help by the Beatles. Um, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and Adveriad. Let's recover together. So, Carol, could you start off by telling us a little bit about your early life and what life was like for you growing up? Yes, um, I was brought up, you know, in a, a small terrace, two up, two down, back in the 50s. Um, with the outside loo back out in the back garden <laughs> and uh, I had a, a sister who was a couple of years older than myself and mum and dad and my mother um, had a, a major heart problem um, and my dad uh, would go out working daily and he would go out drinking nightly mm. but um, it was a, a, a lovely childhood um, it was a lovely uh, environment I was brought up in a small slate quarry village up in North Wales Bethesda and um, you know life was I suppose as life is meant to be for children and teenagers etc I thoroughly enjoyed my education and my schooling and I easily made friends etc etc but I do re remember realizing um, you know being a, a little girl going to brownies going to brownies with another couple of friends of mine um, and realizing that our backgrounds, our family makeups, our finances, etc., etc., were all completely different. And I felt as if I didn't belong, mm -hmm. even from a very, very early age, you know. But then I um, went to college and I studied drama drama um, mainly as an educational medium because I trained to become a teacher and I remember being in one of our lectures um, being given the definition of drama uh, in the most simplistic language possible when you think of you know introducing drama um, in school in a secondary school and the definition I was given was man in a mess that's the definition of drama it was mm. that so that was my approach in my drama lessons to the majority of my um, pupils. Not really realising that what was going to um, happen to me in life was really going to be uh, a portrayal of a person who found herself in complete and utter mess and mm. chaos due to the fact that I was unable to ask for help, to identify needed help, and the fact that I couldn't identify loads of other things about myself. Um, so yes, I became a, a teacher. Um, I was very successful, but of course the drink took over and made things completely turn over upside down in my life. And I chose, you know, the second song. I I know an old lady who swallowed a fly. Um, I heard it recently on the radio, and it took me back to my childhood in the late fifties when we only had the radio. Or then I remember um, us uh, having a transmitter radio, a transistor <laughs> radio rather. But we would listen to the radio on a Saturday morning, um, Children's Choice. And this song is really, Julie, the type of song that we would listen to, where I was sat there for ages with my piece of toast and black treacle and making patterns for ages on my piece of toast before I even started to negotiate eating it. Oh. Well, let's listen to that song now, Carol, and take you back to your childhood there. So, so we have, um, there was no lady who swallowed a fly. I know no lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know no lady who swallowed a spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed a spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a bird. Now how absurd to swallow a bird. She swallowed a bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. 
I know an old lady who swallowed a cat. Now fancy that to swallow a cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a dog. What a hog to swallow a dog! She swallowed the dog to catch the cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a goat. She just opened her throat and swallowed a goat. She swallowed the goat to catch the dog. She swallowed the dog to catch the cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a cow. I don't know how she swallowed a cow. She swallowed a cow to catch the goat. She swallowed the goat to catch the dog. She swallowed the dog to catch the cat. She swallowed the cat to catch the bird. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. I know an old lady who swallowed a horse. She's dead. Of course. So that was there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Um, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by Adveriad and the Living Rooms. So, Carol, did that take you back to your childhood there? Oh yes, very much so. But it also makes me think, you know, of man in a mess, of the person I became. You know, the repetitiveness of daily life, where you know I'd started day promising myself and promising my husband. Um, I won't do it again, I won't pick up that drink again. Mm. And then by tea time, I had fallen into that insane pattern again, you know? The insanity of the behaviour, you know, was uh, constantly there. So it just the repetitiveness of that and the fact that, you know, perhaps she'll die. Well, that is so true, isn't it? Absolutely. What is the option of a person who becomes a 24-hour drinker other than, you know, to most probably die, um, be found dead, cause an accident, a fatal accident, or even to find herself on a mental health ward um, with huge mental health issues. Mm. Yeah. So it, it, it brings, it sort of encompasses all that sort of thing for yeah. me, you know, yeah. um, strangely yeah. enough now, yeah. as well as my childhood, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So just to take you back a little bit, Carol, so can you recall sort of your first experience with alcohol and, and how that made you feel? Well, I was a teenager. Well, uh, yes, I was a teenager. And of course, you know, underage drinking did that. And it was strange that on the, a Saturday sort of weekend experience of underage drinking, that oftener than not, I would end up vomiting my body didn't like the toxic effect of alcohol but i would keep on keep on um i went to college and i then could drink quite heavily and i used to compare my drinking to the drinking of of some of the male students i could drink more than them i could easily drink them under the table sort of thing you know but um that it was all um quite in in control at that time obviously but i i would drink and you know being a typical student we would go on pub crawls on saturday female pub crawls on saturday afternoons um starting about one o'clock and we'd finish you know in the students union about 12 o'clock in the evening you know and, and i i would drink to oblivion most probably mm. even then in my student days mm. I was brought up and I, my, my dad drank daily, God bless him, and uh, it became apparent, you know, in, in my childhood that um, life was pretty difficult uh, for my mother, 
not only because of her health issues, but because also of the constant wanting to uh, help my father. Although he worked hard, he also uh, played hard. And there were constant conflict on the um, hearth, you know, regarding money matters. There wasn't enough money to keep uh, to keep the household going, although we were a small family, etc., etc. But um, I also became aware, really, that my um, parents, God bless them both, that there was very little love there, and that it was a, quite a cold um, relationship. No sort of, you know, hugging no talking but I adored my mother and I really because I was very aware of her health issue she had to go to London back in the 60s to uh, for a major heart operation which was massive in that days I, I became her shadow a lot of my early childhood primary school days in fact you know um, I would stand at the bottom of the staircase in the house watching her go up the stairs because she was so breathless in case something would happen to her mm. so th that sort of dominated um, uh, my childhood in a way and I also uh, you know go refer back to a childhood experience I had when I was on a an errand for my mother going to collect some catalogue money from a neighbour one sun, sunny tea time and I walked up their garden path and their dog was fast asleep by the back da garden door and I knocked on the door as I knocked on the door the, the dog woke up and he instantly went and bit my leg the top of my leg and you would have thought that this young primary school child would have screamed out and would have started to cry because it was a nasty uh, bite. But no, something stopped me from screaming out for um, showing my pain. Mm. The lady came to the door. I carried on the conversation of the errand and I left and I walked back home and I still strangled the tears mm. and I hid the fact for two days that I'd been bitten in my leg until my mother found on Saturday night bath time and that episode came back to me when I went into rehab and I realized even from that very very early childhood that um, something was different about me but I was in my 40s now realizing this that I did not want to recognize pain or to reach out to others to help me when I was then in physical pain but as my addiction um, continued and developed my inability uh, also to express my feelings mm. I stuffed everything literally deep down inside mm. myself if I ever experienced any amount of mm. pain be it physical or emotional and that's how I lived my life. Mm. Well, we'll talk a, a, more about that Carol after your next track so would you like to tell us because I'm sure this will take you back to to those moments because you've chosen a song that is about your home village. Yeah, well, yes, it's sang. It's sang by a group called Celt, who are a local Bethesda Rachib group. The streets of Bethesda. It's a folk song, and it's really about the quarry men and them suf suffering um, from um, the. Um, I can't remember now. What 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 do people suffer from with dust? Um, silicosis. Mm. But um, it it just brings me back, takes me back to my uh, home ground, to my village, uh, and, and the fact that it in, it in, it captures so much about my One background. Day as I walk through the streets of Bethesda. As I walk down past the slates and the graves I saw an old quarry man watching the sunset Recalling his life at the close of his day He's just a statistic in his story's pages 
Struggling for breath as he shuffles along There's dust in his lungs from the rocks of the ages Death in that mountain he'd known for so long My grandfather told me don't slave in that quarry or you will be joining them six feet below. I said, tidy back, pida for me, for thine young, for thine young So that was The Streets of Bethesda by Celt. So, Carol, you're talking there about not being allowed to show your emotions and your feelings. Did, has that really stuck with you or is that, that something that you've obviously put a lot of work into within your recovery? In my recovery I recognised that I had a, a, a lot of growing up to do, maturing mm. to do um, in respect of just this let alone anything else um, and I've, it was difficult. It was really, really difficult. But what helped me was to um, really recognise and own the fact that I was equal to everybody else. And, you know, the perfectionism, the practice of perfectionism in my life, which um, uh, affected me in a way of thinking that um, this is how things are meant to be done, be, be them important things or even just little everyday ordinary things this is the way that things have got be do, got to be done that perfectionism element in me you know had to had to disappear as well but this inability it was uh, feelings and expressing pain became i couldn't recognize it i had a complete inability to understand emotional pain to the extent that when I went into um, rehab at the age of 40, you know, I didn't understand really what these feelings were. I didn't know the words for them. And I didn't even really know what I was uh, feeling most of the time. And it was very, very difficult. It was, um, I suppose the extent of my recognising the feeling was just around anger. But I always associated anger, even at the age of 40, to my father, when he'd be really, really angry under the effect of uh, his own drinking. Mm. And, you know, to think a woman of 40 hadn't matured in that mm. way. So there was a lot of work a lot of work to be done in recovery and it's it's constant you know it, it can the, the old patterns of behavior and addressing things will always be there but it's a case of dismissing those straight away strangling those straight away and re-engaging or engaging properly with what you know will work for, for me so um yes I hope I've answered your question yeah. there. So, so before you actually went into rehab, how, how bad were things for you? Dreadful. Mm. Dreadful. I was a 24-hour-a-day drinker. I was living on my own in a, some godforsaken place. Um, the children and my husband, my friends, my uh, colleagues, my work, my car, everything everything that was important to me had had to be removed from me and i literally was a 24 hour a day drinker living on my own and all you could see there was me and empty bottles everywhere i went for um before then um when i first went for psychiatric help with my drinking, with the support of my uh, father-in-law and my husband then, um, I was given um, about eight sessions, I think, of electronic uh, convulsive therapy, which was awful, mm. really awful. Must have been dreadful for my husband and my family members because I was like a zombie for months after that and I have no recollection of that period. But apparently, even 
being that zombie due to the treatment I was given, apparently I still would f find myself apparently going out and buying drink and drinking. Mm. Stressful, isn't it? Mm. Um, but no, I was a hopeless alcoholic, Julie. Mm. Hopeless in the fact that there was no hope within me. I remember that hope beginning to deteriorate within my soul as an uh, adolescent, as a child, as a teenager, when, and this is quite common as well from my working and um, living around people with addictions, I was sexually abused as a teenager. And from that word, I knew that I was turning my back on um, the God, my understanding as a teenager, I stopped going to church and there was a massive uh, opening of a decline of hope in my life. But yet again, I couldn't express anything to anybody. I kept it a secret, couldn't express my pain. And abuse happened again later on in my life, sexual abuse. And this is very, very common in the context of people finding themselves going back to help, not being able to reach out for help, mm. even not even being able to do anything other than stuff those feelings deep down. Um, put on a mask, excellent at putting on a mask, mm. and just getting on with life, you know, as the um, happily married mother, teacher, um, wife, uh, chapel goer, community involvement here, there, everywhere, um, the party goer, ex you know, complete mask. Mm. But I was in, I was a complete man in a mess. Mm. But the drinking took over and it was dreadful. Mm. I went into rehab and during that time, my the damage of being brought up by an alcoholic mother was actually um, things were changing at home. With my, um, I've got two sons. With one of my sons, slowly uh, introducing himself and his friends into um, the use of uh, illicit drugs, and that was a very very painful uh, beginning to another period of my life that was pretty challenging. Well we're going to stop there Carol because we need to play another piece of music um, which I know is is connected with your family isn't it so so you've chosen Hi by the Lighthouse family so just tell us a little bit about why you chose this track. Well in fact I chose this track because yes indirectly it's to do with my story but in early in the, that first few years of um, recovery um, I helped a young man in my area to get better and he went into the same rehab that I'd uh, been in previously and he was really struggling in rehab and I and I um, sent him the words of this song, I remember writing them down and sending them to him so that he could play this song or read these words when he was really, really finding things difficult in rehab. So I, I'm recalling there the hand of uh, recovery being offered to somebody else.
that was Hi by the Lighthouse family. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Rooms and Adveriad. Today's guest is Carol. So, Carol, you were in a really very dark place, but mm. managed to get into rehab. So how did your recovery journey go from there? Well, in fact, um, rehab wasn't the end of the drinking. The drinking continued um, for, uh, I don't really remember, about two or three more years. But then uh, recovery happened. The change, the big change in direction in my life happened one morning after a massive withdrawal. And it was a spiritual experience. You know, it wasn't of the educational type of recovery, although I have learnt loads through my rehab and through being involved with Alcoholics Anonymous and working in this setting now. Um, I've learnt a lot, but I had a spiritual experience. But anyway, during that first year of recovery, a friend of mine I'd met in rehab phoned me. We phoned about once or twice twice a year. And he told me, I found this this retreat up in um, Carberry Towers in Marlborough in Edinburgh and you, you've got to go. So I did. I flew up there and got myself on this retreat. But at the same time, my son had become seriously mentally ill and had had to finish his schooling before he did any sort of qualifications or anything. It was very, very sad and tragic. And I took with me to this retreat the guilt of being the alcoholic mother Mm. and the effect it has had on my son, both of them really, but especially one of them. And, um, you know, during this retreat, loads of things happened to me, beautiful things. But one thing I realised on this retreat was that there were several people on that retreat who... I I went there thinking I'm the only alcoholic mother on earth who's damaged the son to the extent that I've damaged my son who has lived the last year, two years on mental health wards at the age of 15. But I came across this beautiful man from the Glasgow area and he told me that he had spent a lot of his own childhood, teenage years rather, and early adulthood on mental health wards and that his mother was a a hopeless alcoholic and that it just affected him. And you know, that really helped me to realise that I wasn't on my own in just in that aspect of my life, you know. And it also made me even more adamant that I wanted to give as much as I could give to any family setting that were, um, you know, under the effect of alcoholism or possibly other addictions. So the retreat, um, it was called the Came to Believe Retreat. And um, it helped me enormously, um, although my son was still and in and out of mental health wards and was seriously seriously ill but by then as well you know the addictive gene and I firmly believe in this that you know the addictive gene had been passed on to my son and could possibly be carried on to other members in future generations you know Um, and it's just one thing another thing that I had to accept and realise that, you know, myself as an alcoholic, let alone any other members of our families, that this is just another illness and that we should approach it like any other illness. But unfortunately, the effect of an addiction has consequences, not just on damaging individuals, but damaging um, society in, Mm. in general as well. And that power of, of meeting others that were going through the same thing, that connection is, is so, so It's vital, important. it's mm. vital, isn't it, you know, that you feel that you belong, that you are understood mm. and that you are guided mm. by others who possibly have just gone a little bit further than you have at the time. But that sense of belonging has been vital and it is 
vital to me on a daily basis. The fact that I belong and I have an extended family who are my recovery family. Well, we'll go on and talk about that in a little while. So we'll just play another track, I think, now. Um, so you've chosen Drugs Don't Work by Verve. I chose this because when my son was seriously ill, um, you know, at the age of uh, um, 15, approaching 16, he wouldn't stop singing this song. He just couldn't stop singing it. Mm. And I'll never, never forget that. Mm. And he has, has a beautiful voice as well. Mm. Lovely. Let's give that a listen. All this talk of getting on It's getting me down, my love Like a cat in a bag Waiting to drown This time I'm coming down And I hope thinking of me as you lay down on your side now the trucks don't work they just make you worse but I know I'll see your face again now the trucks don't work they just make you worse but I know I'll see face again But I know I'm on a losing streak As I pass down my old street And if you want to show Then just let me know And I'll sing in your ear again now the trucks don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again This baby don't work. So Carol, you're having a spiritual awakening or you've had a spiritual awakening and you're in the retreat. What what happens next in your recovery? What, what? 
Well, actually, during this retreat as well, on the Sunday morning, we had a um, collective worship meeting. And I went uh, into this building, which was like a, you know, a chapel of, of a kind, very modern. There was a big, big glass, massive glass window, which was basically this very, very long wall. And you sat staring at it. And I looked out through this whilst we were waiting to start this meeting. And I could see this long green lawn area just you know, reaching out to the distance. And right at the very far end of this lawn area, there was a massive, Julie, a massive, massive wooden cross. And I began to cry and cry. And I couldn't stop crying. And they were tears of joy. They were tears of joy. Because, do you know, and I was, you know, 40 plus by now, I realised for the first time ever in my life the significance of that empty cross and it really, really meant something to me. That there was room for me, the sinner that I was, and I was a sinner because my behaviour, which I've had to accept, was atrocious at times, but there was room for me on that cross and I had been forgiven and the fact that you know that spiritual experience I'd had several months before that when I just knew and felt the presence of my higher power which is the God of my understanding so this retreat reinforced in me the fact that I was loved accepted and more so forgiven it was a, a beautiful experience which i'll never forget and does that stay with you now yes yes the basis the foundation of my day-to-day -day life is based on the knowledge the inner knowledge that i have that i have a god my understanding this is my higher power and that I have been to hell and back and I am here today to do according to God's will the best that I can and I try and reinforce the best that I can by being around other people who are seeking hope in their lives the hope of freedom. Freedom is my best, best word in the English language. The freedom that I've been given is, well, I can't, ex ex I can't ex describe to you the experiences, these two main spiritual experiences I, I had, which was over 20 years ago. I've been in recovery now for 20 one or 22 years, mm. I forget. Um, and one day at a time, my higher power is with me. And this is why, you know, I chose You Raise Me Up by Secret Garden, because in the retreat, at the end of that actual spiritual worship meeting we had that morning, the, the You Raise Me Up by Secret Garden was played, and did I cry and cry and cry again? Let's give that a listen now. Troubles come 
That was You Raise Me Up by The Secret Garden. Um, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and Adveriad. That was an incredibly healing piece of music there, Carol. Um, lovely choice. Thank you for that. So we're going to move on a little bit now and, and talk about your role here at The Living Room and how that has sort of maybe had an impact in some ways on, on your own recovery. I'd be interested to know about that. So... Would you like to... Yes, it, it was quite unexpected, really. It wasn't anything planned, but what life isn't planned, is it? No. You know, at all, although we think it is. Um, I, 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 I was invited um, to... Um, well, I was, I was given the opportunity to consider applying for a post in the living room some years ago, a part-time post, which um, I was lucky enough to uh, be given. And we worked on a recovery coaching manual. And that post was funded for a couple of years. Then I was given the opportunity to become service manager of Living Room. And by now that has developed into being the service manager of Adveriad 
uh, recovery down here in Cardiff. And like I said, wasn't planned, but oh my good, golly goodness me, you know, it's, it is where I definitely need to be. And um, I feel so much a part of what the goals or the philosophy of the living room is that we are here to give others the message of hope, the message of love, and the message of recovery. That, you know, one day at a time, it is possible for me to be that hopeless alcoholic who could do nothing but drink 24 hours a day, to being this person who can, you know, try and give a little bit of my own experiences to others is, um, you know, one of my m m um, daily aims in life. Um, the work here is varied. Um, as I manage, um, it's a case of, you know, getting to know people, getting to know um, uh, about other organisations in the area. It's about really just being there as a facilitator in many ways. Although I don't counsel people, that isn't my role at all. But the fact that I'm involved and that I definitely also, because I am a recovering alcoholic, need to feel the need of others. If I was to isolate myself on a daily basis without having communication with other people, I know where my negative head would take me mm. and it would be, um, you know, dreadful. So I am very, very privileged to be here working for a living room at Veriad and the fact that I am meeting people who I can um, relate to, and I hope that they can relate back to me. Mm. It's a very challenging job, mm. hugely challenging job. And it, um, you know, it breaks my heart when I hear about people who are really, really struggling or who relapse, which is part of the process. I've been there, and I'm sure many in a, a person, um, you know, will think, is this going to come to an end? Mm -hmm. Well, it did come to an end and I've been given over 20 years of freedom from um, living in hell with the alcohol. And that, you know, I have a family, I have a role as a grandmother of four beautiful little children now. And I have what I referred to earlier, the love of an extended family. And, you know, the graces, the gifts that have been given me in life are immense. Very little emphasis on material gain. It is all about spiritual gain mm -hmm. in recovery. Yeah. Greg and I were talking just before the uh, show started and we were saying about, we talked about the consequences of your drinking and we were, we were saying that really your drinking has had an impact on all of us at the living room because you wouldn't be here, would you? If, yeah, yeah, you know, if the yes. things that happened yeah. hadn't happened. Yes, of course. You know, of and, course. And that's that's a, a massive thing for us. You yeah. Know? Yes. So. Um, and you know, I don't regret a damn thing mm. about mm. the fact that I am an alcoholic. Mm. People, uh, you know, I've I've um, promoted recovery as much as I can. I'm not ashamed of it yeah. because the fact that I, although when I was an active alcoholic, of course it's damaging and it's dreadful and the pain mm. that's inflicted on others, but I have gained so much in my life and so have my family from the fact that I am a sober alcoholic mm. and, um, you know, I am so grateful. Mm. And we're very grateful too. Thank you. Thank you. So on that note, we'll play, this is your penultimate track here now, Carol. So we're nearly coming to an end, sadly. Um, but you've chosen No, No Regret by Edith Piaf. Yes. Um, again, I, I was fascinated by this song uh, somewhere back in my childhood, teen teenage years. Um, the fact that, you know, um, the power of the uh, the Edith Piaf and the way she sang with so much 
understanding and emotion in the words and the fact that uh, you know there was power in it although I couldn't understand a word of the French language then um, it, it's just stuck with me and I thought it was very apt for today Chagrin, mes plaisirs, je n'ai plus besoin de balayer les amours avec leur trémolo, balayer pour toujours, je repars à zéro. So that was No, No Regret by Edith Piaf. Carol, we're sort of nearly at the end now. So I, I just really wanted to ask you what you've gained from your recovery. I know it's a big question, but... Well, I suppose peace of mind, freedom, respect, positive self-pride, the fact that I have no expectations which seemed to be high on my list before. Expec expectations of nobody or nothing. The love of the God of my understanding. The love of my family. A fantastic sponsor who's been with me for almost the whole duration of the 20 plus years. And the fact that I am quite content, which is something I don't think I was, you know? prior to finding recovery. So yeah. yeah we're very lucky. Ex I'm extremely mm. lucky, mm. Julie. Extremely lucky. And long may it continue. Absolutely. God willing. Yeah. As long as I keep on doing the right things. Yeah. So Carol today, what would you say to the younger Carol? Don't be too hard on yourself tendency was that I, I always used to put myself last on the list. I'd tell Carol, well, why don't you prioritise yourself instead of putting other people and other people's uh, needs and other people's opinions, etc. first. Don't be that shadow of a person. Be yourself and begin to love and respect yourself as another equal human being. Well, that was amazing, Carol. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to come and talk to everybody. And uh, I know I've taken a lot away from what you've been saying. So, so thank you very much. Well, and, thank uh, you. It's my privilege. Oh, thank you. It's been a great show. Thank you. So, yes, I've got a few thank yous to, to make. So thank you so much to The Living Room and Very Ad for allowing us to put this show together and, and all the support that they give us. To Greg for keeping it all in complete order and <laughs> structure. And, and today is a bit of a big day for Greg because it's the first programme that's actually gone out from the studio. So a uh, big hand of... A round of applause Yay! for Greg. Good old Greg. <laughs> He's looking well in his element, I can tell you. So, yes, and thank you so much to all the listeners. Please, please carry on listening. You know, we, we want you to listen. We want you to support this because uh, 
our aim is to spread the word of recovery and and that of hope and um, I hope you've all taken away something with you from from this program today so thank you so much for listening and uh, and keep keep tuning in that's that's what we want so Carol there's um really just one more song to play do you want to tell us why well, you've chosen this yes. one? well yes I'm proud to tell you, everybody, I'm still standing with Elton John. Hooray! <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Fantastic. You can never know what it's like. Your blood like when a freezer just like ice. And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you. You'll wind up like the wreck you hide behind that You just fade away Don't you know I'm still standing Better than I ever did Looking like a true survivor Feeling like a little kid And I'm still standing After all this time Picking up the pieces of my life Without you on my mind I'm still standing Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm still standing Were meant to cut me down And if my love was just a circus You'd be a clown by